Welcome to This is the Jet Life with Dan Burnham, your guide to the New York Jets sports and much more. And now, your host, Dan Burnham. What's up, everybody, and welcome back to another installment of the Gang Green Nation podcast. This is the Jet Life. I left last week's episode on a high note, stating that even though this week's matchup against the Bills was to be played against teams with a combined seven wins, this was set for one of the most exciting games of the year. Sam Darnold versus Josh Allen, Volume 1. Finally here, and it didn't disappoint. Great play from both quarterbacks showing glimpses of why there were people advocating for both as the Jets' third pick in this draft. When it was all said and done, the New York Jets came away with a remarkable win on the road against a division rival, something we've scarcely seen over the past decade and beyond. This game in no way righted the ship for the Jets' 2018 season, right? Coaches will be fired, players will be cut, playoffs will elude us for another season, and the bellyaching of the fan base will continue through the offseason, as it always does. But this past Sunday, the Jets felt a sigh of relief through validation of Sam Darnold's moxie and ability to win, something the Jets have been longing for, and it's finally here. I'm going to make sure the defense and the special teams get the credit that they're due, because obviously their impact in this game was extremely important in the win as well. But before I get to all that stuff and get this episode underway, I want to remind everyone, rate, subscribe, follow this podcast under the Gang Green Nation podcast, where you're going to find both my podcast as well as Michael Nanya's. Uh, they combine into one Super Jets mega podcast. Very cool. Check them both out. Uh, mine are titled This is the Jet Life, but it's all good. If you're looking for more Jets talk throughout the week, follow me on Twitter at Jets underscore Dan, and feel free to engage however you'd like. This week's episode is going to be broken down as it usually is. We're going to do an AFC East check-in, little NFL news and notes, what's on tap, Jets game recap, player performances, player of the game, and a recap, or preview rather, of next week's game versus the Texans. So I've been waiting months for this matchup, Sam Darnold versus Josh Allen, and I've been waiting weeks to finally get a win. And recorded one of these podcasts with a little bit more positivity around it. And it's here. So let's not wait anymore. Get into this damn thing. So we're going to begin where we always do, the AFC East check-in. And in this week, the New England Patriots travel to Hard Rock Stadium to play the Miami Dolphins for their second match of the season. So you know, the Patriots won the first matchup against the Dolphins in Foxborough, but this time the Patriots have to go down to Florida, and they don't typically play the Dolphins very well down there. In fact, in Tom Brady's career, he actually has a losing record in Hard Rock Stadium, about 7-10, and 10, if you'd believe that. He actually plays the Dolphins poorly in Miami. Don't know what it is. Obviously, the Patriots have had more successful, talented teams over the years that have found much, much more success than the Dolphins. But the Dolphins find a way to win these games. People are going and thinking, well, it's not going to happen again, is it? Well, you'd be surprised. This was a game where the Patriots basically dominated time of possession. They had the ball for much of the game. Um, they were moving the ball slowly, methodically, in the Patriot fashion, but they just couldn't really run the ball very well. Still got up to 33 points. But the Dolphins on the other side... They were able to get big splash plays just to keep them in the game here and there. Big run here, chunk gain there. And when it came down to it, the Dolphins had the ball with seven seconds and the opportunity for a game-winning play. Now, those never happen. When you're on your own 30-yard line, which is where the Dolphins were, you're not going to make a 70-yard pass into the end zone unless you've got Josh Allen as your quarterback. They don't. they got Tannehill. He's been a little banged up, so they're not going to be able to reach the end zone from there. Still, the Patriots elect to put Rob Gronkowski on the field. Very controversial after this whole matchup thing. But we can get into that another day. The Dolphins run a play, the classic lateral play, which is toss it to somebody about 20 yards down the field in the soft, you know, deep zone coverage. 
and then try to just lateral the ball until something works. And this is always one of the ugliest plays in football that you see. It never works. It's embarrassing. Somebody drops the football. Somebody passes the ball forward as a lateral somewhere along the way. An offensive lineman gets it and fumbles it. Yuck. This week, the Dolphins get the ball into the hands of a receiver who pitches it back. Kenyon Drake ends up getting it after a second lateral, runs down the field, beats Rob Gronkowski by two steps to hit the corner of the end zone and win this thing in a miracle win for the Miami Dolphins, keeping the Dolphins' playoff lives well alive. The Dolphins up their record to 7-6. and six. They trail the Patriots by two games, who are 9-4. and four. And yes, we all believe the Patriots have basically secured this division. There's only three games to go. The Patriots have a two-game lead on the Dolphins. Even though the Dolphins win this game, they just split the series. They both win at home. The Patriots are going to end up winning this division. We know it. But it drops them down a little bit in terms of the AFC picture. They actually only have the third best record. Now, they're probably going to get the bye week as it stands right now because the team, two of the teams that have a better record than them are in the AFC West. So one of them is going to be a wild card team, going to have to play that first round. The Patriots are 9 and 4. They're tied with the Texans, who are 9 and 4. But the Patriots already beat the Texans earlier in the season, so they own the tiebreaker there. The Texans are in reach of that spot if the Patriots can drop one more game. They do play the Jets again. Both of those teams do. So we'll see if the Jets can uh, shake it up a little bit more. But what it looks like right now is the Kansas City Chiefs are probably going to walk away winning this thing with home field advantage. They're going to have the best record in the AFC, it looks like, unless the Chargers can take them. The Patriots are a full game behind the Chargers and two games behind the Chiefs. With three games remaining, it's not looking good for them playing this whole thing through Foxborough, which definitely is a sigh of relief. The Dolphins, on the other hand, they go to 7-6, and six, which actually is a playoff record right now, but it's held by the Baltimore Ravens, and that's for the tiebreaker technicalities that come into play. So you've got a few teams that are 7-6 and six right now, one of which will make the playoffs, it looks like. Baltimore Ravens, Indianapolis Colts, Miami Dolphins, and Tennessee Titans. The Pittsburgh Steelers are right there and can swap with the Baltimore Ravens as the division winner because the Steelers are 7-5-1 after their loss to the Oakland Raiders this week, which was kind of embarrassing. Get into that in a little bit, but you saw the Dolphins keep their playoff chances alive with a huge win against the Patriots that a lot of people did not think would happen again in Hard Rock Stadium. So, Props to them. We don't like to see the Dolphins win, but if there's any team we want to see them beat, it's the New England Patriots, and it happened this week. So honestly, what could be better? I guess technically if the Bills lost and the Jets won. Oh wait, that happened too. So pretty incredible overall, as the New York Jets find themselves this week picking up a game on the New England Patriots. It doesn't look like we have enough weeks to catch them, but we did pick up a game, and that feels good in itself. Picked up a game on the Bills as well, now have the same record as them. Both of us bottom of the division at 4-9. and nine. That's all right. Neither one of us is making the playoffs. The Jets technically are seated lower than the Bills right now. So if the season ends today, we will pick before them. And sure, that would be great. But I have said it, and I stand by it. I would rather watch the New York Jets and Sam Darnold win three more games, win out this season, end this thing 7-9, and nine, not make the playoffs, but have a reason to believe in Sam Darnold, to believe in this team, to convince coaches, players, and fans Basically, this team means something and is moving forward in the right direction. I mean, we draft Sam Darnold third overall. Everybody says, what you got to do is get a quarterback. The New York Jets need a quarterback. Got to find the right guy. It looks like Sam is the right guy. He falls to us. Fans are elated. Unbelievable. And now, all of a sudden, they want to see him lose to get a draft pick for a player that they don't want nearly as bad as they wanted Sam Darnold. It doesn't make any sense. Let's see this guy improve. Let's see him take steps in the right direction. Keep winning games for this team and go into next season with a little bit of momentum because you know what? If we can get the roster built around him, we can get the playmakers, the offensive line, the edge rusher, the players that we've said we needed. We know we need a lot. And we can get that offensive coordinator that can come in with some creativity and instill something new into this offense. 
it's very possible the New York Jets can play for a position in the playoffs. I mean, when you look at it, those teams like the Titans, the Dolphins, the Colts, I mean, these are all teams the Jets can beat and can almost have a better record than with a couple wins, a couple things here and there and a slightly better roster, they're right there in the mix. So let's please keep focusing on trying to win these games. It's not going to save Todd Bowles' job, don't worry. Todd Bowles is getting fired. He can win these last three games. He's not sticking around. I think we all know it. The writing's on the wall. He's dead man walking. Don't be worried about that. Don't be worried about another mediocre season. Don't try to convince me that the Browns would be better off winning zero games this year than five games because a mediocre season is bad and it's better to be the worst and pick first. That's not the case. They are very happy that they're a five-win team right now, as they should be because they're taking steps in the right direction, as we should be if we can win three more games than we did last year, two more games rather than we did last year. That'd be great. Let's have a little positivity around this thing, all right? It's just something that was kind of irking me all week as I see people getting a little disappointed that the Jets pulled off this incredible comeback win against the Buffalo Bills. Fans actually trying to blow my buzz, say that it was not worth it to win this game. We should have found a way to lose. As if that's what these players are doing. As if that's what's going to keep Jamal Adams on this roster and keep the good, talented players that we do have here. So if that's going to help anybody grow or move in the right direction. It just, it's a little bit uh, ludicrous when you hear it, but... What can you do? Everyone's entitled to their own opinion. I get it. It makes sense somewhat, but I just can't follow that kind of train of thought. So that's your AFC East check-in. Going over to the NFL news and notes, as we always do. Don't worry, we'll get to that Jets-Bills game. It's just coming up after this. This week, we saw a few storylines that related to the Jets pretty uh, specifically. Number one, today, Vikings fire offensive coordinator John Filippo, a guy who... The Jets were looking at as a possible head coach candidate for next season. He worked with Carson Wentz. He's been a quarterbacks coach around the league for a long time, albeit with some less than stellar quarterbacks, but also with guys like Carson Wentz. He worked with Doug Peterson and had a pretty good resume going for himself. Goes over to Minnesota with Kirk Cousins and that great offense, and all of a sudden he can't get anything done. And if you watched the Monday Night Football game last night, the Vikings offense was putrid. If you look at the stats now, it honestly looks better than it was because Kirk Cousins ended up getting some garbage time stats. He got a touchdown. He got some yardage that he did not deserve at all in that game. He didn't play well. The offense didn't do well. At this point in the season, they basically got 1,000 rushing yards, where last season ended with like 2,000. And their coach Zimmer is saying, well, we want to run the ball more. We want to go back to this. Explain this to me real quick, Vikings. Why do you have a $90 million quarterback and the best wide receiver combo in the NFL if you plan on running the ball more? you got to find a way to make things a little bit more creative. I agree. And Coach Flip just wasn't bringing it. You're talking about a team that last year with Case Keenum was way ahead of schedule where the Vikings are right now. Everybody thought going in with that defense, those receivers, getting Dalvin Cook back and bringing Kirk Cousins in, this right away was going to be possibly a championship game roster. But it's not. They're maybe not going to make the playoffs. They trail the Bears by even more. And sure, they're beating the Packers, but that's not the team they're going after. Chicago's at the top there. Mitch Trubisky's back, healthy, playing good football. They just beat the St. Louis Rams, the Los Angeles Rams, whatever you want to call them. And the Vikings are on the outside looking in right now. So people are going to be blamed. Oftentimes, offensive coordinators are the guys that are first to blame. We blame Jeremy Bates. We will blame our next offensive coordinator if Sam Darnold isn't doing well. And every team right now, the Falcons, the Jets, the Jaguars, the Browns, these teams are looking at their offensive coordinator saying, well, this is the problem, and they're the first guy to get fired. Someone's going to save their own butt, have a scapegoat, and hopefully live to coach another season with a new offensive coordinator. Now, this is interesting for the Jets, this coach flip firing for a couple reasons. One, he's a guy that we were looking at as our head coach. Now that he's fired, you got to think to yourself, well, maybe he's not a guy we want to bring in. 
We do know that we're going to need an offensive coordinator going into next season as well. We're not going to probably have Jeremy Bates there unless we see something miraculous. It's not going to happen. Uh, he's probably going to be gone. So we're going to be looking for a new OC. Could that possibly be Coach Flip? Unsure. But he's definitely going to be available. You're not going to have to wrestle him away from the Vikings. You don't have to worry about him saying, you know, hey, I think I'm going to stay here. I got a good thing going with Zimmer. I want to learn a little more here. Keep finding success rather than uproot my family. Instead, he's completely available and less wanted now than ever. So the Jets are going to have to take another look. It may potentially take a guy off the board. All right, you wanted DeFilippo earlier in the season. There's reason to believe that maybe he's not the right mix right now. That leaves one more guy not available for the New York Jets. This is going to be very interesting around the NFL because you're seeing a lot of teams that are going to need offensive coordinators and head coaches. Uh, it's becoming like the, the very popular thing to do right now is fire offensive coordinator midseason, blame him. Oh, that's why the Vikings are sucking. Well, maybe Kirk Cousins isn't quite as good as they thought they was going to be. Maybe the team caught lightning in a bottle last year. Maybe the defense outperformed. It could be a ton of different things. But at the end of the day, someone's going to get blamed, as I said. And offense co coordinators are one of the first to go. But everybody in the league right now, with all these good young quarterbacks and young players coming up, everybody's talking, all the fan base is saying, we want a good, you know, creative offensive play caller. We want one of these Andy Reid, Matt Nagy type of guys who runs a very complex system and finds success, gets people into the right positions to make good offensive plays. Every team wants that right now, though. There are very few teams that already have it locked away. We're going to be fighting with a lot of teams. Not only do we need an offensive coordinator for next season, most likely, but we're going to need an offensive-minded head coach, so we probably need to hire two offensive coordinators for this role or onto this Jets team. And you're going to be competing with a bunch of teams, the likes of the Jaguars, teams like the Falcons and the Vikings and the Browns, and it's going to be tough to find them in there. That's why it's so important for the New York Jets to win these games, for Sam Darnold to convince the people, the coaches, the players, everybody, come over here. I mean, you hear Bruce Arians say, if he goes to the NFL, he wants to play for the Browns. Why? Because he likes Baker Mayfield. He thinks he's got good pieces in place over there. He doesn't want to go into a job where he's going to fail and have a bunch of headaches the whole time working through bad quarterback play and a bad team around him. He thinks that the Browns are headed in the right direction, and that's the type of team he wants to be a part of. The New York Jets need to make sure that in all the other coaching candidates' eyes, they're one of those teams. Their team on the come up. They're a team that has the quarterback in place. They just need the coach to come in and do it. Everybody would love to have a great quarterback that they can ride the coattail of, right? You think Belichick doesn't love having Tom Brady? He wasn't a very good coach before Tom Brady was there. Did you see him coaching in Cleveland? Let's not act like he was always amazing. But you get Tom Brady, you ride with that for forever, and you love it. All great coaches are tied to great players, and vice versa. And when you already have a great player in place, in Sam Darnold, which I think a lot of coaches eventually will realize we have, then that's the type of thing you want to be a part of. So Coach Flip fired. We'll see if the New York Jets are still going after him. More news. Kelvin Benjamin, a guy that I wanted the New York Jets to go after last week, was signed this week. And by who? The Kansas City Chiefs. That's a successful team with a successful offense that doesn't need a ton of pieces, but still they realized they could find a use for Kelvin Benjamin. He's overweight right now. He has some issues. He's getting a little bit older. He's been unproductive for the past year. He hasn't played yet for this Kansas City Chiefs team, so we don't know what he's got left in the tank and what he's going to be able to do over there. If there's any offense that's going to find success for him, even in a limited role, it'll probably be over there. But if a team like the Chiefs, who are ascending to the playoffs right now and possibly beyond, a team that's got an offense clicking like it does, if they can find a use for Kelvin Benjamin and think, oh, well, he'd be an upgrade over some of these guys on that Kansas City offense, how did the New York Jets not take a look there? How do they not see him as a possible upgrade over a Deontay Burnett, a Sharon Peak? 
We missed out on him, and he was scheduled to be an unrestricted free agent next year that the Jets would potentially be going after. We'll see if he gets an extension from the Chiefs before that. More New York Jets-related news around the NFL. Mark Sanchez played for the Washington Redskins this week against the New York Giants and got absolutely obliterated. He had the chance to take over a pretty successful team so far this year, possibly get them to the playoffs, but fumbled the opportunity. Pun intended. He's basically already lost the rights to this job, something that he had been given another talented team around Mark Sanchez where he can't get it done. He gets benched. They bring in a backup who was playing charity basketball pickup events just a week ago. Comes off the street and instantly the Redskins are like, well, he probably gives us a better chance. And if we want to make the playoffs, it's certainly not with Mark Sanchez. So unfortunately, it looks like Mark Sanchez's career in the NFL has probably basically come to an end. The New York Giants, on the other hand, and this one looked like one of the most competent teams in the entire NFL. It's amazing what Mark Sanchez can do. Now, we've only got a few weeks left in this NFL season. And it was a really exciting year coming in because there were so many quarterbacks drafted in the first round. When it comes down to it, and you're going down the final stretch, only one of those quarterbacks drafted in the first round of this year's draft really has a chance to play for the playoffs. And that's Lamar Jackson, the guy most of us thought had the least likely chance of doing it. He was a player that was most likely going to sit for the entire year behind Joe Flacco. He got into it last. Sam Darnold, Baker Mayfield, Josh Allen, Josh Rosen, all touching the field with significant quarterback playing time before him. Lamar Jackson eventually finds his way in through Joe Flacco injuries, and they're 7-6 and six right now, sitting in that number 6 spot. Lamar Jackson really is the only one of the five that has any chance of representing this rookie draft class in the playoffs. And you honestly have to root for him. It's hard not to. When you get so invested in the quarterbacks in the draft class like this, like so many Jets fans did going in, who are the Jets going to take? We know we're going to take when we trade it up in the draft, so you could do all your research basically on just that one position. You knew it was happening. And you watch them all and you see, well, we'd like to see it be successful. Wouldn't it be cool if Sam Darnold was part of one of the most successful quarterback drafts in NFL history years down the road? People are saying, well, look how good that 2018 class was. You had Josh Allen and Josh Rosen, Sam Darnold, Baker Mayfield. Those guys were incredible. And Lamar Jackson as well. Put him in there. It'd be very cool. It would just kind of boost Sam's stock a little bit to be part of something bigger than that, like that quarterback draft class. You know, you have those wide receivers from that year a few years ago and you say, wow, look how good you've got. Well, Calvin Benjamin at the time, Mike Evans, Odell Beckham Jr. It was like looking like one of the best wide receiver classes ever, and it kind of boosted everybody's stock real quick because it was a lot of hype around it. Let's do that for the quarterbacks here. Lamar Jackson is the catalyst, the guy pushing forward through these playoffs. Hopefully he's going to make it there. He's got a very unorthodox style of play compared to the other quarterbacks in this NFL. He runs the ball a ton, passes it sparingly. He has started passing more and more as the weeks have gone on, and he's looked all right. He doesn't have the accuracy there, but he's fast, and the guy can run. He's run-first type quarterback. But it may be able to win him a game or two here and there, get him into the playoffs. And who knows? They got a great defense over there. And it's a team that, in my personal opinion, is easy to root for. So congrats to Lamar Jackson representing this rookie draft class right now. Hopefully he makes a chance in the playoffs and uh, can make a little noise for these guys. There were a few other storylines around the NFL this year. I don't want to get into all of them. Another one that I thought was really interesting was that the Raiders actually beat the Pittsburgh Steelers. Pittsburgh Steelers are a team that are trying to make it into the playoffs right now. They're battling up with the Ravens and only have a half game lead over them. And with that wild card spot so tight the Steelers easily could find themselves dropping back and out of the playoffs if they lose more games. Ben Roethlisberger is a little bit shaken up, came out of this game for a little bit. Raiders are hanging tough. They're beating them. The Steelers decide they got to put Ben Roethlisberger back in because he gives them a chance to play and he's healthy enough to do it. He comes back in, gets the uh, Steelers set up for a field goal try to tie the game at the end, and the field conditions in Oakland are so freaking bad that Boswell misses 
misses the extra point, slips on the way on the terrible turf as it had been bad all game long. The Steelers lose to the terrible Oakland Raiders. Their playoff chances took a huge hit in this one. And there's lawsuits now about this Oakland Raiders stadium. I think it's unbelievable, honestly, that they're still playing in a baseball stadium in Oakland. It's 2018. This is like this is like 1980s football playing in Shea Stadium. What the heck are you doing playing in a baseball stadium in 2018? There's so much money around the NFL, especially a franchise like the Raiders. You should be able to afford a real stadium, maybe have the grass done upright, maybe not have people slip and fall in like this. There's lawsuits against the Raiders right now, and they may not be able to play in that stadium for the rest of the year, believe it or not. That's what people are trying to do right now. Keep it from being played in that freaking baseball stadium. One more time, the Athletics Stadium. That's where they play football. It's unbelievable. No wonder they're going to Las Vegas. There's no reason for them to stay there. I can guarantee you Las Vegas is going to treat them much better as a team. They're going to have a much better facility, stadium. It's going to be much more enjoyable for the players to be a part of that, for the fans to experience it because it's shaped for football. It's not shaped like a baseball stadium, which just doesn't even make sense. So Steelers lose, Raiders win. It's actually interesting. I was mentioning it before. There are a lot of people that were on the bandwagon, and the New York Jets should keep losing games, try to get the first overall pick. It's funny, had the Jets lost this game to the Buffalo Bills, not done such an awesome, incredibly cool comeback, they actually probably would have had the first overall pick in the draft because you had wins from the 49ers, and you had wins from the Raiders. And now the Jets, with this win and the Cardinals losing, actually dropped a spot last week. They would have been picking third. Now it looks like they'll be picking fourth if the season ends today. Now, we still got a few more weeks left. Strength of schedule is going to come into it. It'll be very technical when it all is said and done, I'm sure. Hopefully, the Jets will win three more games, and it won't even be a discussion whether or not they're in the top five. They just won't be. But if they do continue to lose the light at the end of the tunnel, we will say, well, at least we get the draft pick. It's not our first choice, but yes, we'll take it. It is the positive spin on a bad season. So overall, that's what I got for NFL news and notes for this week. I guess that means I can get into the New York Jets at Buffalo Bills game. Before we get into New York Jets at Buffalo Bills, we are going to take a quick pit stop at the cooler and do a section called What's on Tap. That's right, it's What's on Tap, section where I go over the beer that I'm currently drinking for this episode. And this week is something a little different that I'm not usually used to having. I've actually never had it before. I am drinking a Hootie, a hazy American pale ale made by Six Point Brewery says, that's a hoot. It's another tall boy. Almost all the beers I drink on here are 16-ouncers, and they're usually IPAs because that is what I prefer to drink. But this is one that was given to me. I actually had a birthday just last week. Had a little party. People were giving me gifts, and um, I guess people understand that drinking is very important to me, so I got a ton of alcohol for my birthday. I got bottles of scotch, bottles of whiskey, IPAs, beers. I got a barley wine, all sorts of things. But uh, this hootie was something that I'd never seen before. It's made by Six Point. It's a brewery that I'm familiar with, as they have a couple other things you may be seen before, like resin and Bengali. But this one is a, a 16-ouncer Hazy American Pale Ale. And you know what? It's actually pretty good for an American Pale Ale. It doesn't have quite the juice level that I like, the citrusy flavors. As my uncle says, beers that actually taste like orange juice. This isn't one of those. This has more of an IPA hoppy flavor. The first few sips were a little bitter in it, and I wasn't quite sure if I liked it. It was a little rough. Uh, kind of sharp on the tongue, but as I keep drinking it, and maybe my tongue and taste buds are just numb to it now, uh, it's actually going down really smooth, and I'm kind of changing my my tune on the whole thing. It's got a very cool can. It's got an owl with the six-point star on its head, 
and it's got uh, a pretty cool graphic. It's on a cloud with lightning. It's fun. It's funky. Um, it definitely draws your eye when you see it. If you like American Pale Ales, you very well may like this one. It comes in a four-pack, so I have a feeling it's probably a little overpriced, I think, for 5.4% alcohol. It's hard for me to buy those those really craft things, unless it has a, a nice signature flavor, something that I'm really having trouble finding. And it's like, wow, that, that beer has something special going on. It's hard for me to justify spending $14 on a four-pack of uh, you know, a 5% beer. A lot of the ones that I buy come in the four-packs, but it's 7%, 8%. Some of those things, you know, you only need to drink one or two to be feeling, you know, pretty good for your podcast episodes. But brewed in New York, Brooklyn, New York. This is Six Point Breweries Hootie. They're hazy American pale ale. And that is today's What's on Tap. Some of you have been wondering, what's going on with What's on Snack? We've seen that filtered in here and there. Um, I'm usually having a snack during these episodes, but I don't always like to talk about it. But I actually got something pretty cool from my little birthday party as well with some leftover cheeses. And in there is an antipasto medley full of olives, peppers, and cheese. A treat so fine, it deserves to shine. And that is what's on snack. Moving over to the New York Jets versus Buffalo Bills football game. This was one that was highly anticipated by the likes of me, especially going into this thing, because Sam Darnold was finally back. Josh McCown was in there, and he was over 3 playing bad football. I did a very detailed comparison of them last week Sam Darnold versus Josh McCown what we've seen from them both this season and honestly you may think that Sam Darnold wasn't getting a ton done but he was he had three wins out of his nine games played Josh McCown had played three games one zero and we weren't looking good poor quarterback rating poor output overall from Josh McCown offense looked even more sluggish and unproductive with him on the field Sam Darnold comes back that's what we're looking for the season's already shot Nobody has interest in watching a 40-year-old quarterback that's not going to be on the roster next year play any sort of snaps with a bunch of other players that are not going to be on the roster next year and lose. There's no fun in that. Sam Darnold, you're watching him grow, you're watching him progress, you're evaluating him as the first-round draft pick that we have. So much of the New York Jets' future is riding on him. So honestly, every single snap that he takes is impactful. Having him healthy was extremely important. Now, on the other side of the ball... Josh Allen was coming out, and the Jets haven't played against him yet. We played our first game, and it was Josh McCown versus Matt Barkley in the first matchup at home against the Buffalo Bills. Matt Barkley versus Josh McCown, it was a total undersell of what it should have been. And this week, Sam Darnold versus Josh Allen? You better believe I'm into that. You know, it's interesting in this one because a lot of people, you know, the Jets fans are watching Josh Allen thinking to themselves, what are we missing out on? What could we have gotten? And the Bills fans are doing the same thing because they were going to this year drafting a quarterback as well, and we were thinking... At one point, the Jets should probably trade up in the draft because the Bills were one of those teams that had multiple first-round draft picks and easily had the leverage to get ahead of the Jets and take a quarterback. And it's possible that Sam Darnold could have been on their team with that. And you know Bills fans were looking at that as well, saying, well, if we can get up there, we can get really anybody. They had two first-round draft picks. So both teams are really evaluating each other's guys. And I think when you watch this thing, each team came away with something. For New York Jets fans watching Josh Allen, you saw two big things. One, he's got the arm that was advertised. A couple times you saw him fire the ball in there, throwing it with ease. He's got crazy, crazy arm talent. A couple times he threw it so hard the receivers couldn't even hold on to the ball. He's got a crazy cannon of an arm. So we saw that for the first time. Also, Josh Allen is much more athletic than people give him credit for. The guy can move quickly. He's a tank to bring down. You can hit him, but it doesn't bother him. And when he runs, he runs. He moves well. He's got agility, athleticism. He gets extra yardage. He's not a run-first type quarterback. It's never his first read trying to get there. But still, as a backup option, he was able to find 101 rushing yards against the New York Jets. 
So I think that's something that moving forward, it's like, wow, there are very, very few quarterbacks in the entire NFL that can do that. Maybe Cam Newton is the only one that's having as much production running the football right now as Josh Allen is. Seeing it firsthand, you know, a lot of people are thinking to themselves, well, Josh Allen came out of college and he didn't have any accuracy. He hadn't played in a a good enough system or conference to go against real talent. What was he going to do in the NFL? Probably going to be inconsistent like Christian Hackenberg. Christian Hackenberg could never run like this. That athleticism alone gives you reason to believe that he can be extremely successful doing what he's doing. Pair that with the cannon of an arm that he has. Pretty good vision on the field aggression, toughness, this guy very, very well can be very good. You're seeing it now. He still makes rookie decisions. He still makes some bad choices here and there through a couple bad picks in this game. The Jets luckily capitalized on, but you saw glimpses throughout the whole game from Josh Allen. Sam Darnold, on the other hand, Bills are watching this game, and what are they coming away with? They're seeing a guy that's able to make big plays and has moxie on the field. He improvises when he has to. A few times, play broke down, and he found a way to find successful gains out of it and they saw a guy who wasn't asked to do much in the first half but when he was called on in the fourth quarter down by seven he was able to move the football get big gains hit the receivers move in the pocket get down there and win the game he put the team on his back and he was successful in doing it and actually himself won the game for the New York Jets sure they were allowed on their defense yes they had a couple nice runs in there to help good receiver play Offensive blocking was great, but Sam Darnold did it. He made the throws, some gutsy throws, to win this game. And Bills fans are seeing that, and that's what the New York Jets wanted to see. I said when the season started, I said, what do I want to see out of Sam Darnold? It's not going to be, you know, 4,000 yards and 30 touchdowns. That's a little bit ridiculous. What I wanted to see was him play in 14 or more games. It looks like if he plays this week, it'll probably be 13 or so games. I wanted to see him be sacked less than 40 times, which I think he will be especially with him missing a few games. And I wanted to see him lead one or two game-winning drives this year. And I hadn't seen it so far. And I was getting a little... It was like, well, we haven't really had any opportunities. We've really been out of these games. And yeah, he's chucked some balls at the end. But, you know, with really minimal time left, you're asking him to do, you know, 80 yards in 40 seconds with prevent defense. Or you're asking him to get 14 points in under two minutes. Stuff that's really not achievable. But when you give him the ball with three minutes to go, down by three points, and you watch him march down the field... And not just get the field goal, which a lot of young quarterbacks would play for. Hey, if I can move the ball 40 yards, we can just be safe and secure and get our field goal and go to overtime. No, instead, go for the jugular and try to actually win the game and do it? That's impressive. So when it's all said and done, this is lining up to be a season that I think is very successful for Sam Darnold. You're going to look at his turnover ratio. You're going to look at some of his passing numbers, his quarterback rating, completion percentage. You're going to say, well, those are all a little down. You know what? They were supposed to be down. Are you looking at this roster saying to yourself, well, we've got the the role players, the offensive line. We've got the playmakers on offense, the running backs, the wide receivers that we need to be successful. No, you're looking at a team where you're saying we need new wide receivers, new running backs, new offensive line, new offensive coordinator. So what really is in place right now? A couple of tackles, a backup running back, maybe a tight end and your quarterback, who's a rookie, and he's able to win four out of six games, honestly, it's surprising that he's even done that. You hear fans time and time again say, this roster has nothing on it. We need to do a complete overhaul. we got to find talent. we got to find skill positions. We've got some good defensive players, but that's about it. Then how is Sam Darnold finding success like this? How is he able to come back and win? How is he able to do this against one of the top-rated pass defenses in the entire NFL? Because the guy's got a little bit going on that people don't give him credit for. You watch Josh McCown come in and try to do the same thing, and he couldn't. 
because he can't do what Sam Darnold can do. And that's saying a lot because Josh McCown had a pretty good season for the New York Jets last year and actually won their Player of the Year award. He led them, and they re-signed him. And it was like, yeah, they didn't win many games. No, but we were supposed to be the worst team, the worst team in the entire NFL, and we were not. We turned some heads. Now Sam Darnold's playing better than that guy with this offensive line, running game, receiving core, and offensive coordinator. So please excuse me for being extremely hyped on Sam Darnold's play and being so excited about this win because I have been waiting for something like this for so long and seeing it happen before my eyes away in Buffalo against them, against the other quarterback that I'd been scouting and we've all been looking at for the New York Jets as a possibility. It just, everything about it felt great and sure we've only got four wins, but a win like this honestly felt as good as, you know, that win against the Lions in week one, I think. Much needed, much, much needed for this fan base. All right, so let's get into the team stats and then go over some of the player performances in this game. So when you look at the team stats from this game, the offense of the Buffalo Bills on paper stands out as being much, much superior to the New York Jets in this game. Buffalo Bills have 24 first downs to the 15 New York Jets first downs. Both had nine passing, but the Bills doubled the Jets in rushing first downs, 10 to 5. The Bills had five first downs from New York Jets penalties. We only had one. Third down efficiency, we were 6 for 13 just under 500. They were 7 for 14, right at 500. They ran 20 more plays than us. They had 120 more yards than us. They averaged 5.2 yards per play. We averaged 4.7. They had 192 passing yards to our 170 and 176 rushing yards to our 78. So you're looking at this saying, well, how the heck did the New York Jets win this game then score more points? A couple things that came down to it. One, special teams from the New York Jets greatly outperformed that of the Buffalo Bills. And then, the Buffalo Bills had three turnovers. They had a fumble and two interceptions. The New York Jets, they had two. One fumble, one interception. The Jets also had three sacks. Bills had none. So when you get down to it, yeah, the offense outperformed the New York Jets for the Buffalo Bills, sure, but we made the big plays on defense, and our special teams was an X factor in this game, as it has been all year. It's something that when the New York Jets win... And when they play good, successful games, you're seeing the special teams have a huge impact. Andre Roberts has been great all year long, and Jason Myers should be a pro bowler. Andre Roberts should be a pro bowler. Quick reminder, while we're on the topic here, do your pro bowl voting. If you haven't done it already, you can just go on, uh, I forget what it is. You just type in pro bowl vote on Google. It'll come up. I voted a few times. Uh, there's a few players in the Jets that I think deserve to be voted into the pro bowl. Jamal Adams, I think uh, Andre Roberts and Jason Myers, and then I definitely threw in probably like six or seven votes for Sam Darnold, just for good measure, just because I'm so proud of him and how he's overcome the adversity so far this season on this roster. But yes, you can vote New York Jets or anybody else from the NFL that you feel deserves to be in the Pro Bowl just to get them there. Keep in mind that the Jets are looking at some of these players as restricted, unrestricted free agent targets. It's possible that you may not want to vote them into the Pro Bowl because it will boost their stock and they probably will request more money from us. We'd rather them not make it in because we don't vote for them. They fly under the radar and we get them for cheaper. It's kind of a, a twisted way of thinking if the player deserves to be in, he should make it. We shouldn't do anything crazy, but you know, realistically, we would love to save a little money and get another player or two. Okay, so what were we talking about? That's the, the team stats in this game. They dominated time of possession, 33 minutes to 26. When it came down to penalties, the New York Jets were bad. Seven penalties for 93 yards. The Bills also had seven penalties, but for 47 yards. 
you can't give up 93 yards of penalties. And a couple of those, you had two personal fouls, at least in this one. Buster Screen had one. Leonard Williams had one, both roughing the passers. And then you had a really long, long pass interference on Buster Screen. And uh, both of those you know, penalties on Screen were big yardage. He had probably over 50 yards himself in penalties, which was a big blow. And uh, a couple other plays throughout the game. Seven isn't terrible. The 93 yards you really got to work on. But, you know, the Bills had an advantage there as well. The team stats and the numbers on paper, that's not what does the game. It's the players. It's the men out there. So how did those guys do? Well, my personal favorite, Sam Darnold, had a pretty successful game, passing the ball for 66% on 16 for 24 passing. That's up from his season average. He only had 170 passing yards in this game, which is definitely lower. He had one touchdown, one pick. Ratio of one, higher than he's been so far this year. He had a quarterback rating of 83.7 this week compared to his 69.5 season average. Really good. Josh McCown, on the other hand, he came in when Sam Darnold was injured for one play. It was an incomplete pass, and he had a quarterback rating of 39. So you're still seeing the huge difference between the two. Sam Darnold had a great game. He didn't run the ball a ton. He wasn't asked to do very much in the pocket at all. They really didn't have him throw the ball until the second half when they needed to, and it was kind of remarkable how quickly the offense seemed to come alive when he was throwing the ball. I mean, 66%. It wasn't for a ton of yardage, but he had nine first downs on his 24 throws. Um, you know, he threw the ball 12 times less than Josh Allen, and it ended up being for only 20 yards less than him. Josh Allen threw 12 more times, only had two more completions than Sam Darnold. Josh Allen, just for the record, had a 44.4 quarterback rating this game. They don't account in that for his his rushing. He ran the ball nine times for 101 yards and a touchdown. I mean, it was ridiculous. He had a 31-yarder in there as a quarterback, had a couple other long gainers, was getting done on his feet, especially in that first drive. But, you know, overall, Sam Darnold outperformed Josh Allen in terms of the passing game, and when it came down to it, he got the plays done to win the game. When you go to the rushing game, for both teams, the starting running back went out. It was LaShawn McCoy for the Bills. He went out after just two carries. And then on the Jets' side, Isaiah Crowell was questionable for this game. He went out after just two carries. So questionable, Isaiah Crowell played, got a little injured, banged up. They put in Eli McGuire as their bell cow for this one. Now, Eli McGuire had 17 rushes in this game, and there were a couple big ones, don't get me wrong, some very, very important, impactful rushes. He had a fourth and goal touchdown run to win the game with under two minutes to go. Absolutely awesome. Great play from him. He also had a 34-yarder on an outside play where he had an awesome stiff arm. It was an awesome highlight play, one of his best runs of his career with the New York Jets, and it was great to see him come back. But when you take that huge play out, he had 16 carries for 26 yards. He only had 60 total yards in this game, and 34 of those came on that one run. So 26 yards on 16 carries? That's a 1.6 yard per carry average. I've been an Eli McGuire fan. I think he blocks well. I think he catches well. And I think that he's got the ability to have, you know, big gainers. I think he's got a pretty decent stiff arm. He's got some decent speed, and he's got some decent power. He's a pretty all-around talented back. I think he's similar to that of Bilal Powell, just younger. And I think eventually he'll get to that sort of role. But for me, Elon McGuire is never going to be a number one back for this New York Jets team. I think that he's going to be a good number two back for us. But we're probably still going to have to put some attention on getting that number one back and splitting carries with him. You just saw it in this week. He had the opportunity. The Bills have a stout defense. They do have a very good defense. Not a great gauge for him. But overall, Eli McGuire has not had a crazy good rushing year so far. He's been decent in the passing game, getting his opportunities there. And you're going to see him grow as he's young. And he came off injury. He was on IR for the beginning of this season. And the offensive coordinator's not been great. We're changing things. Got a new quarterback in there. It takes time to get a rhythm. Sure. But I'm just saying, 
from what we've seen from him right now, it doesn't look like the kind of guy that's going to be ready to, you know, don't be confident saying, well, we've got Eli McGuire. Let's just go on with him next year as our running back. We do have Isaiah Crowell as well. A couple of guys banged up, but definitely a position that we could look at improving. A couple other runners in this game. Uh, Sam Darnold, he ran the ball four times for 10 yards. One was a nine-yarder on a bobble, well, a, a snap he was eventually, potentially going to hand off. Didn't, tucked it, ran. That was third down, so we ended up punting after that. Isaiah Crowell had his two runs for five yards, and Trenton Cannon had a few runs because he moved up to the number two back with Crowell out. He had five carries for three yards, which was, uh, you know, under a one-yard per carry average. Not great. What he did have in this game was a four-yarder for a touchdown. How awesome is that? Trenton Cannon got his first touchdown. He's a guy that was brought in because he's a good cutback lateral speed runner, potentially a guy that could be a weapon for the New York Jets in the passing game, be one of those scat backs. Unfortunately, his route to the team and making it on there was through special teams, which is something that he can't do. He's not a very good gunner. He's a terrible kick returner and punt returner. He's made mistakes all year long in every facet of special teams. He looks like he's terrible at the position, but he's getting more opportunities in offense, and he's honestly a little bit more competent at playing offense than he is at special teams. It's going to be tough for him to keep on the roster given his you know, deficiencies at uh, special teams when you consider how easy it is to find running backs in the draft. You know, Trenton Cannon, for example, was a very late pick for the New York Jets, as was Eli McGuire. So it's going to be possible to replace him somewhat easily. But when you see him get touchdowns and have a little bit of impact on the game, it definitely helps his cause. Good to see him getting involved. We'll see if as the year goes on, he gets a little bit more opportunity, if he can make a little bit more noise and, and stuff, build his stock a little bit going into next season. Now in the receiving game, Sam Darnold, we know, only threw 24 times. He only had 16 completions. So it wasn't a game where the Jets were chucking the ball all over the field. You know, Josh McCown was coming in here throwing 30, 40 times in a game. They're not allowing Sam Darnold to do that yet. I don't know why Jeremy Bates doesn't trust him. I don't know why he doesn't let him play his improvisation-type game, but he hasn't. Robbie Anderson led the Jets in receptions in this game with four, led the team in yards in this game with 76. Robbie Anderson was on the receiving end of one of the most incredible Sam Darnold plays that we've ever seen. A third down play where Sam Darnold was cruising around, rolling to his right, going after by Kyle Williams, the Buffalo Bills, cuts back, reverses field. This is like an eight-second play now. Goes back the entire way. Robbie Anderson still running in the end zone on a third and five. Sneaks in between two defenders. Touchdown for Robbie Anderson. It's uh, all over Twitter, YouTube, ESPN, NFL, all that stuff. This play was incredible. It was one of the best things that you're going to see from Sam Darnold. It was validation for a lot of people. Wow, that's exactly what this guy can do. Wow, this is why he was a first-round pick. Um it was awesome, and it was a touchdown that the Jets desperately needed in a game where they weren't scoring very many points and needed them. Robbie Anderson's had trouble getting yardage, getting receptions, getting touchdowns. In this game, 76 yards and a touchdown. All four of Robbie's catches were extremely important. Three were for first downs, all on third down, and one was the touchdown. Also on third down. So all of his catches were on third downs and converted for first downs. He had one deep ball thrown to him. Under two minutes, Sam Darnold has the guts to throw a deep ball to Robbie Anderson with a minute 55, 40 yards downfield, perfect positioning, gets it to him right on the sideline where only Anderson can catch it. No safeties there to help right in front of the cornerback. Beautiful catch, two feet down for Robbie Anderson. He was quoted in the game afterwards as saying absolutely perfect from Sam Darnold in terms of the throw. And it was just another example of the team coming together and doing something special when you least expected it when your hopes were all gone for the new york jets and what they could do robbie anderson does what he does best gets deep gets past a cornerback and makes a nice deep ball catch sam darnold finds him perfectly 
under two minutes when the game matters most. They could have taken a field goal. From where they were on the field, they were only about 10 yards away from a field goal. They could have tried to methodically move it down. But that's not what he wanted to do. He wanted to win the game. By golly, he did it. So big catches in this game from Robbie Anderson, a guy that you hope to see back on this team next year um, as he is a restricted free agent for us. Next leading receiver, Quincy Anunua, three catches for 22 yards. He was targeted four times. He had a couple nice catches on the, on the sidelines, had one in the middle for just a few yards, got involved a little later in the game. Again, 170 yards, 16 completions. There's not a ton to write home about when it comes to these receiving games, but it was spread out. Sam Darnold found nine different targets in this game, and that's kind of what was impressive. Also what he was able to do in that second half. Eli McGuire also had three catches. He had 23 yards, a couple nice first downs in that on some swing passes. Chris Herndon, he had one negated for a penalty, but had one nice catch going up over top the defender on the sideline for 14 yards. Jordan Leggett had a catch, the other tight end, for 13 yards. You're seeing these guys kind of take over for Tomlinson and Neil Sterling, two guys that probably were a little higher in the pecking order when the season began. You're now seeing the two young guys, Chris Herndon as your number one, and Jordan Leggett probably is working as your number two tight end right now when it's all said and done. Tomlinson continues to play worse and worse, had bad penalty in this game, uh, doesn't catch the ball, doesn't really get much done on offense at all, and he should be gone. Jermaine Curse had one catch, 10 yards. Rashard Matthews had one catch for six yards. That came late in the game when you weren't expecting it. All of a sudden it was like, whoa, now who is that? Rashard Matthews getting involved. Trenton Cannon had a catch for four yards. That was a play on a third and 10 that they were trying to convert. He only got four yards. It was kind of a bust of a play. The defense read it quickly, and Trenton Cannon wasn't able to get the yardage. But then you had uh, Isaiah Crowell with one catch for two yards as well. So when it's all said and done, you had nine different receivers catch the ball on only 16 completions by Sam Darnold. You're seeing him see the field, find a ton of different receivers. Early when this year began, we were seeing him throw basically all of his passes to one guy. It would be all Quinton Nunwa for the most part. Sometimes it would be all Robbie Anderson getting all the targets. But now you're seeing him spread it around. You're seeing guys get opportunities in the passing game, and you least expect it. You know, Jordan Leggett and Rashard Matthews getting involved, and then Robbie Anderson being used to what he's best for on deep balls. So not too bad there. When you go to the offensive line, they were bad in the running game. They could not get lanes really open. Eli McGuire, poor yards per carry. Same with Trenton Cannon. Isaiah Cruel didn't get it going. Sam Darnold, you know, he was four carries for 10 yards. And the Bills have a good defense. They've got a good front seven. They stopped the New York Jets well, and we had a total of 76 yards or so in this game. Couldn't get it going. Unfortunately, the offensive line wasn't making big enough holes to make it any easier on us to set up, you know, little easier, shorter fields. Jets have so many third and tens this year, it seems like, and there were just a bunch more in this game as well. But in pass blocking, the offensive line was ridiculously good. Sam Darnold coming off of injury was extremely important to keep healthy and upright. You saw him get banged up a little bit early on one of his scrambles early in the game. He comes back onto the field. In this game, he wasn't sacked a single time. Even more crazy than that, he wasn't even hit a single time. Not once did that stout Bills defensive line or one of those linebackers get through for a hit on Sam Darnold. And that's exactly what you want to see for this guy. You want to see him upright. You want to see him feeling confident and comfortable back there. And you want to see a guy coming back from injury, especially one that's this important to the team, regress in terms of health in any way. And he didn't. They kept him upright all game long. Running lanes weren't there. That would have made things easier. But when it's all said and done and this year is over, you know, we're not going to make the playoffs. And I would be much happier keeping Sam Darnold upright and allowing him to throw the ball than having big running lanes for these guys and having him get shelled over and over in his rookie season. In this game, the New York Jets kept Jonathan Harrison at center, still not putting Spencer Long back there. But they put Spencer Long back in at that left guard position 
where uh, last week it had been Dakota Dozier. So Spencer Long, you're seeing him get some opportunity at left guard. Whether he can make his way back onto this roster as a guard is unclear right now. Bart Scott on the fan had some really good words to say for Spencer Long and actually praised him for his play. But the jury's not out on this guy. we got to see a little bit more, and uh, I think we'll go one more week of him having a good performance before we take him officially out of the doghouse. Remember, he's the only guy living in there right now, and uh, he's on his way out, but you know he's still got a little bit more work to do in terms of playing guard because he was just that bad at center that we're not going to let him off the hook too easy. Now, it is worth noting that Dakota Dozier actually did get snaps at the New York Jets in this game, not at left guard, but at fullback. The Jets decided to cut Dimitri Flowers in the preseason, went into the season without a fullback, and for one of the first times, you're seeing an offensive lineman for the New York Jets line up as a fullback on a couple plays, and they actually found success a couple times with it, and it helped us win the game. I really hope they don't do it too much more, except for uh, you know short yardage downs, because I think it's going to get pretty predictable quick, but I guess in one game when the team wasn't expecting it, and it's a look that the Jets haven't shown so much this year, you know, it had its uh, it had its moments here and there. It's just not one of those things you want to fall in love with too much and say, oh, let's do that play again because that works great. Because in reality, an offensive lineman playing fullback is pretty much useless on anything except for blocking up the middle, and that really gives your uh, tips your hat over to the defense. Or you go to a passing play and they basically don't have to guard that guy and they get an extra man advantage. You don't want either of those things to happen. So let's move over to the defensive side of the ball and I'll try to move a little bit quickly through this. We'll start with Leonard Williams in the defensive line. He's a guy that's gotten a lot of scrutiny recently because he was drafted so highly. was supposed to be one of the best players coming out of that draft, if not the best player. And he's got a contract coming up. A lot of people don't know if the Jets should re-sign him, just how much money he's worth, and really what his value is on this team or in the NFL. He had really, really good glimpses as a rookie. Followed it up in his second season with some more, and he seems to have regressed a little bit this season. Definitely his production is down. In this game, he had three tackles. You saw him active in the running game. He made a few nice tackles on Chris Ivory when he needed to, uh, getting getting some pressure up in the middle, clogging it up. And you saw him consistently getting after Josh Allen. He had two quarterback hits in this one. Unfortunately, he did have a personal foul on a rough in the passer, but he was consistently chasing down Josh Allen, making him uncomfortable. He was kind of like right there without making the play. He never got the sack, but he was there. And it was the same story last year. You know, he was one of those guys that was one of the best in quarterback hits and, and quarterback rushes in the entire league, but didn't have very many sacks. And Yes, it is extremely helpful to have a guy getting back there, making the quarterback uncomfortable, but there gets to be a point where it's like, if you're getting back there, we'd also like you to make the play. And he did have a couple opportunities to make a play where he didn't. Um, he missed a couple guys on some shoestring tackles here and there going up the middle, especially on Josh Allen running. And those, you know, you can't blame him entirely because those holes were made and the defense wasn't designed on those plays to really be containing the quarterback or spying him in any way. So it's not completely on Leonard Williams, but you'd like to see him as the guy that he is drafted sixth overall, supposed to be a superstar, getting a little bit more active out there. Now, Henry Anderson on the opposite side, that guy had a game. He had four tackles. He had a half a sack in this one, quarterback hit, and blocked a field goal for the second time in a row. Two weeks in a row, Henry Anderson's blocked a kick. And this one was with time expiring you know, 44 seconds left, a 47-yard kick by Hauschka in the second half. The Bills are trying to go in with a little momentum, score some more points before we go to half. Henry Anderson gets his hands up, blocks the thing. As the Jets are recovering it, they get a big hit on Hauschka and a block, and he's running on the field. He's banged up, and then later in the game, he's got another, like, 47 or so yard attempt, and he misses it, and I'm sure it was because he was knocked over on that play. He got up a little wimpy. It took him, you know, 20 minutes in, the, in halftime to recover, get his confidence back, and still I think it uh, it wasn't entirely back for that kick in the third quarter. He missed it wide left, better than wide right for the Buffalo Bills, and they missed out on three more points. But, you know, great job by Henry Anderson blocking another kick. Those are the ones that uh, teams love. Points before the half are 
extremely, extremely important in the NFL, and Henry Anderson kept that from happening. He also had that half sack. He's been pretty active these last couple weeks, and a really great game from him. Then you had Steve McClendon. He had a couple tackles in this one, three tackles. Mike Pinnell's been getting more playing time than Steve McClendon of late in the middle, and Mike Pinnell has three tackles in this game. That's your defensive line. Now, overall, we did not contain Josh Allen well, but when you take out Josh Allen's 101 rushing yards, they really only had 3.4 yards per carry. Right? They had a 5.6 if you put in nine carries from Josh Allen for 101 yards. But take that out, and they've only got 75 yards on 25 carries. And no, LaShawn McCoy, who has been a jet killer in his playing time with the Buffalo Bills, was not on the field. But they had Chris Ivory, who's known to do it, and they had a couple other guys, Marcus Murphy, McKenzie doing some end around plays and stuff like that. That definitely boosted the numbers a little bit as well. They played pretty well. They stopped Chris Ivory. I know he's not the guy he was when he played with the New York Jets, but you got to give the defensive line a little bit of credit there. I would like to see them contain the quarterback a little bit more as it's been an issue for us all year. Ryan Tannehill did it to us. Mitch Trubisky did it to us in this game. Definitely Josh Allen got 101 yards. Quarterbacks are running on this team. We got to learn to stay home a little bit, contain that quarterback, and do a little bit more gap assignment. When it came to the outside linebackers, you had a pretty successful game here overall, a position that's been pretty weak for the New York Jets. Jordan Jenkins, he's your starter there, sets the edge a lot. He had two tackles. One of those was a tackle for a loss. Nice play by him. Frank Ulubu had two tackles, had a nice stop on a third down, or, or a second and ten, rather, on a screen play. Just got the wide receiver by the ankles, stopped him for just four yards, ended up stopping them on that third down, got the ball back. Good play by Frank Ulubu. He's one of the youngest guys on this team, and he keeps getting a little bit better as time goes on. He's not completely there. He may never be a starter, every down type player, but he may be worth having on the roster as a backup or, uh, you know, eventually work his way into a role-playing role, potentially as a starter one day. On the other side, Brandon Copeland, he had three tackles, but he had a sack in this game and two quarterback hits, and he's a guy that's had a pretty good year. He's been player of the game for me before, and, you know, he's a guy that wasn't supposed to start when the season came on. He'd been kind of a journeyman, and he was playing behind Josh Martin. But when Josh Martin went to IR, Brandon Copeland came in, He's had a pretty good season for us. He had another good game, had another sack, and you can't complain with what he's doing for the New York Jets right now. Now, middle linebacker is even more interesting than outside linebacker. Avery Williamson in this one had a more quiet game than he usually has. He only had five tackles. It was tied for third on the team. Didn't have any other big plays other than that. He was involved in the run game, but a very quiet game from him overall. He wasn't getting to the quarterback too much, didn't clean up in tackles, um, in a game where you thought he might. But on the other side, Darren Lee's not playing because he's suspended for four games for taking PEDs. Performance-enhancing drugs, go figure. The somewhat good play we saw sparingly from him this year was enhanced by drugs. He's not playing for four games. The Jets replace him with two guys, Kevin Pierre-Lewis and Neville Hewitt. Neville Hewitt leads the team in tackles with eight, and he gets half a sack and a quarterback hit. The other guy that's playing minutes for him, Kevin Pierre-Lewis, he gets a sack two quarterback hits, and forces a fumble with four tackles. That's all output from Darren Lee's position. Twelve tackles, one and a half sacks, three quarterback hits, and a fumble. Forced fumble. Now, you tell me right now that the New York Jets are better when Darren Lee's out there, that we would have had a better game, more productive in terms of defense if we had Darren Lee there. I think instantly you're seeing a guy like Neville Hewitt who barely made this roster, a guy like Kevin Pierre-Lewis who also barely made this roster, it was a journeyman player. These two guys can come in and have as good or better a game than Darren Lee, our first-round pick, had. Our defensive captain, the guy that's taking PED suspended right now, not even there to help his boys in battle. 
I get a lot of grief for saying that the Jets need to replace Darren Lee at middle linebacker because a lot of people say, well, that's not a position the Jets have to address. We have much bigger needs there than middle linebacker. But if Neville Hewitt and Kevin Pierre-Lewis can combine for a performance like this, what could a real star middle linebacker do in this defense? What are we missing out on? Another Avery Williamson, a David Harris, a Jonathan Vilma, for crying out loud, a playmaker, a guy who's involved consistently in the offense, can get to the passer, can clean up in tackling, can cover a tight end or a running back, any one of the three, four things, do one of them well. We don't have that from him, and I think it's about time to just start looking at it. So those are your linebackers. When it goes to your cornerbacks, Mo Claiborne actually led the team in tackles, tied with Neville Hewitt with eight. He had a decent game. The Buffalo Bills didn't throw a ton on the New York Jets. You know, they only had a total of 100 or 206 total passing yards, if you take away the sacks. They had 206 passing yards. Now, 104 of those yards were caught by Foster, a guy that beat us up the first time we played him. Um, early in this game, or, or midway through this game, Mo Claiborne went for a hit, got banged up, went out. Rashard Robinson came in, and instantly they completed two quick first down passes right on Rashard Robinson. One for 38 yards, and one for, uh, you know, 14 or so yards. So quickly you see Rashard Robinson come in and give up, you know, a quarter of those yards that Josh Allen had. Then he had McKenzie playing a decent game. He had four catches for 47 yards. You know, he played pretty well on Buster Screen and the guys that were covering him. But the other yardage came, one catch from Thompson, one from Murphy, one from Clay, one from Thomas. And overall, nobody really tore us up. Zay Jones was the guy you were worried coming into this game could do something good on the New York Jets. He was targeted nine times, only had three completions. Who was covering him? Trumaine Johnson almost all game. Trumaine Johnson limited Zay Jones, the Buffalo Bills' number one receiver, to three catches for 22 yards on nine targets. And Trumaine Johnson had two interceptions, one of which won the game for the New York Jets. Sealed the whole thing, got the ball back, we took knees, and the game was over. Victory formation for the New York Jets. Can you believe that? Zay Jones had a bad game. Trumaine Johnson had an amazing game. Mo Claiborne was all right. Rashard Robinson, he's a guy that's under contract next year, came in as backup for uh, Mo Claiborne on this one. Did not play well at all. Number 30, if you saw him out there. Screen had bad penalties in this one. Other than that, he wasn't picked on too much in pass coverage. He had a couple nice plays here and there. And typically, your you know, your number three or your number four cornerback in this game would be Daryl Roberts. But with Marcus May on IR now, Daryl Roberts is playing safety. And still, the New York Jets haven't switched him out of there. And I don't understand why. You saw a touchdown by McKenzie where he got into the end zone. And Daryl Roberts was the guy that was meeting him at the corner, trying to keep him away from the pylon. And Roberts didn't even put his hands on him. He almost reached his hands out like it was one-hand touch football, but didn't even touch him. Didn't put a shoulder in, didn't try to keep the guy out of the end zone. And that's your last resort safety. That's not something that he's supposed to do back there. And if he can't play the role and do the entire job, then he shouldn't be out there. He shouldn't be playing safety. Terrence Brooks can do the job better than him. Daryl Roberts is a fine player. There's no reason for them to make him look so bad. That's not his position. Why do you keep doing it over and over? It's just, it's driving me crazy. Terrence Brooks should be playing. When it comes down to it, Trumaine Johnson had an amazing game. Really good. Uh, Daryl Roberts did not at safety. He's still having trouble. He's not meant to play that position. So unfortunately, we're having little output from it. Jamal Adams had one of his more quiet games of the entire season. He did have two quarterback hits, was his, which was his big uh, impact in this one. But he only had one tackle, and usually you see him all over the field. I think the Buffalo Bills are a team that has played against Jamal Adams a few times now. This will be their fourth time playing Jamal Adams. I think they're starting to take note that this is a guy you got to keep the ball away from. The tight ends did not have reception in this game. Charles Clay had one catch for six yards, and that was Jamal Adams' big assignment in the uh, you know the passing game. If you're looking at the number one tight end on this team, he kept the ball away from him. 
Jamal Adams was making his presence felt. He got back on a few uh, few plays, blew a few plays up in the backfield and stuff, but didn't actually make the tackles. Um, he was active out there, but one of his more quiet games of the entire season. And that about does it for your defense. Overall, good game from the Jets. They did have a, uh, a fumble in this game that gave the Bills quick field position. But they did a, a classic New York Jets bend-don't-break sort of, sort of deal. And the Bills had opportunities for more points. They did have a couple turnovers in this one. They had a bad fumble. They had a field goal blocked, and then they missed another field goal. So they left points on the board. But in a game that started with Josh Allen having so much success on the ground and leading the Bills to a quick touchdown drive, you were thinking to yourself, oh gosh, this might be similar to that first time we played the Bills. They scored 41 points on us with Matt Barkley, for crying out loud. Now they come back here in Buffalo. You got Sam Darnold back under center, a couple other guys healthy, Josh Allen playing. Good for them. Now when you go over to the special team side of the ball, Jason Myers, still super impressive. A Pro Bowl candidate for sure, and rightfully so. He went 2-for-2 two two on field goals, 3-for-3 three three on extra points, provided 9 points. His long kick in this game was 47 yards. And again, the guy doesn't miss. I mean, you get him out there and he makes his kicks, and that's not something the Jets have had, seems like, since Nick Folk was playing really well. Locke Edwards, he only punted the ball three times, but pretty well. 120 total yards on a 40 average. One of those was inside the 20, and one of them was 56 yards long. The special team's coverage was good in this one as the Bills didn't have any huge returns. When you go over to the New York Jets, Andre Roberts did. He had a couple huge returns in the kicking game on this one. He had an 86-yarder. He had another really long one where he got past midfield. Another time he got past the 34-yard line because they were afraid to kick it to him. Now, unfortunately, coming out of the half, he did get one that he fumbled, turned the ball over, and the Bills got it back and uh, had good field position right away because of Andre Roberts' fumbled. It was one that was kicked as a sort of a squib kick to him, a low dribbling ball he picks it up didn't ever really have good control over it and then by the time he got hit he still didn't really ever have possession of it kip all came out bills got it back that was a bummer a big blow but other than that andre roberts was setting us up in great field position over and over again i got to the point where they were literally afraid to kick to him he's that dangerous back there was like shoot we scored but now if we kick to him they're probably going to score and it's going to be worth nothing that's the kind of impact he's having back there he should be voted to the Pro Bowl as well. It's one of the best seasons we've seen from a kick returner in New York Jets history. Um, I think it's as good or better than we were seeing from Brad Smith when he was doing it. Leon Washington, same thing. This is great. I mean, time and time again, this is stuff that we weren't seeing from Jeremy Curley or Eric Decker, whomever was returning in recent years. So really glad to have Andre Roberts. I know that he's getting up there in age, but when you're playing this well, at this high of a level, maybe the best in the entire league at doing it right now, it's probably worth bringing him on for another year. Let's go over our players of the game in each position. We're going to start with special teams. It's going to go to Andre Roberts. I had trouble giving it to him. Part of me was like, well, Jason Myers made all of his kicks. Maybe we should give special teams player of the game to him. Because Andre Roberts had that turnover. And when you give the ball up like that, it's something that's so devastating, especially in field position like that for the Buffalo Bills to get the ball there and score quick points. It's hard to give it to him. But when you have the impact you have and you get the Jets in so many opportunities to score points and you get the ball down there as quickly as you do on the kick return game, something you're not expecting to get great yardage from if you're most teams in the NFL, then yeah, you get it. 176 yards a kick returning. And by the end, they were trying to do everything they could to keep him from doing it. Still finding success. When you go to the defensive side of the ball, the player of the game has to be Trumaine Johnson. How could it not be? The guy has two interceptions, keeps Zay Jones to 22 total yards on three catches on nine targets, and he gets two picks. I mean, what better of a game can you ask for a Trumaine Johnson? Finally, he's playing like the player that deserves $15 million and to be on this team for years and years to come. He was given a big contract. He's been in and out of the lineup. 
He's had some struggles here and there. But he's a guy that reads the quarterback's eyes well and makes big plays on the ball when he has to. He's a guy that doesn't have great discipline in terms of deep balls, and he can get burned on those. He uh, he likes to stay in front of the receiver in case there's any sort of comeback play because he's a guy that wants to be a ball hawk, go after the receiver or the quarterback's eyes and play the ball rather than play the receiver. And sometimes it comes back to hurt him, especially when your free safety is Daryl Roberts and isn't an expert at getting back to help. But Trumaine Johnson had an awesome game, and no question that guy's your player of the game on defense. Offensively, you know, you, there's a case to be made for Robbie Anderson because of his impact on third downs, picking up the first downs, the deep ball late in the touchdown. But it goes to Sam Darnold for his game-winning drive, for his ability to come back, rejoin this team, and lead the Jets to a game-winning drive away, something that teams don't do against a defense that's this highly ranked. Winning on the road is hard enough. Coming back on the road, extremely hard. And against a defense with a you know, top three pass defense in the entire league that the Buffalo Bills had coming into this game, yeah, you better believe Sam Darnold's going to be your player of the game on offense. And I can't wait to watch him play next week. Speaking of next week, let's get into that real quick, wrap this thing up. The New York Jets play the Texans on primetime football, flex into a Saturday game, 4.30 p.m. against the Texans. And this is one the Jets are projected to lose. It uh, opened up at minus 6.5 points. So Jets are projected to lose by 6.5 so far as it states right now. Jets are home for this one. But the Texans have a really good defense. Especially this year, they're playing awesome. J.J. Watt is back, and he's playing better than ever. He's one of your leaders in the NFL in sacks. Tyron Matthews over there, he's playing really good all over the field. they got a few other playmakers getting things done on defense. And then on offense, Deshaun Watson, he moves the ball with his legs. Another tough offense for the Jets to guard. Another quarterback that can make plays on his feet. The Jets are going to have to you know, contain him a little bit better than they did against Josh Allen. they got a great receiver in DeAndre Hopkins. Going to have to watch out for him. Could be a tough matchup for Trumaine Johnson or Mo Claiborne, whoever's given the assignment of DeAndre Hopkins in this one. He's one of the best in the league at doing it. He catches everything, and he gets open time and time again. Fast, strong hands, jumps high, plays the ball at its peak. One of the best in the league. And Lamar Miller, he's a great running back, playing very well. We saw him play for the Dolphins for a while in our division. He's now playing over there, having equal success with the Texans. Bill O'Brien's team is on fire. They did just lose to the Colts after being on, I think it was a nine-game winning streak. They started the season a little slow, then got red hot, lost a close division game to the Colts this last week, and the Colts are a pretty good team right now who are hot too. So the Texans are going to be coming back, looking for a little bit of redemption in this one, try to get a win against the New York Jets. They are opening up. This game is favorite, so the Jets are playing somewhere they're comfortable. Underdogs once again. We can play spoiler. Now, keep in mind, so you know, some people want to lose for the draft pick, but if the Jets beat the Texans, it probably takes them away from contention of taking that number two spot away from the Patriots. Now, no question, more than anything, I want to see the Jets win and I want to see Sam Darnold play well, but the silver lining if they lose is that, you know, they, they keep that pace with the Patriots in case we can beat the Patriots or somebody else can in the last couple of weeks, and then potentially the draft positioning if you're into that. So this should be a pretty exciting game. It is another primetime game. The Jets weren't supposed to have any extras this year. Uh, they played that opener on Monday Night Football. They played a Thursday Night Football game against the Browns. But now, another game against a pretty good team in the Texans. You know, they are currently your fourth best team in the AFC. The Jets are coming off a hot come-from-behind win. Texans are coming off a loss to a division rival. We're going to have our work cut out for us. and People are going to be tuning in for this game, so... It's going to be another opportunity for Sam Darnold to show the world why we drafted him third overall and why our fan base is so excited to have him on our side in green and white. So with our guy, Sam Darnold, back, assuming he remains healthy with his foot injury, he plays again. This fan base is revitalized with a little bit of life. 
watching him, evaluating him, getting excited for the team moving forward going into next season. Let's see what Sam Darnold can do. Let's rally around this team. I want to see the penalties drop down. I want to see the receivers keep a little bit of chemistry with Sam Darnold and see him stay upright in the pocket. Definitely good pass protection there. I want to see us shut down DeAndre Hopkins and have a little bit of discipline when it comes to containing Deshaun Watson on defense. Let's see the special teams continue rocking. Jason Myers, keep it up. Andre Roberts, find the end zone one more time this year. Why not? And we'll see what we can do. Thank you for joining me on this week's episode. If you're looking for more information, as always, follow me at Jets underscore Dan on Twitter. That's at Jets underscore Dan. Bonus coverage throughout the week. I say who knows what. As the time goes on, I get random thoughts. I put it on there. And then, uh, you know, obviously feel free to rate, subscribe, review this podcast, Gangrene Nation. Check out Michael Nania's stuff. Check out gangrenation.com. Anything else you find. If you got questions, reach out to me. And, yeah, I look forward to doing this again next week. Hopefully it's coming off another win because these are so much better, so much sweeter when you've won. So I had fun with this one. I hope you guys did too. Thanks for joining me. I'm Dan Burnham, and this is The Jet Life. Hey everybody, it's Neil Patel, Editor-in-Chief of The Verge. I host a podcast every week called The Verge Cast with my friends Paul Miller and Dieter Bone. We've got a rotating cast of characters from our entire site, which is about technology, how it impacts culture, and how that is all a big cycle that causes us to have a wide variety of feelings that you can listen to every Friday. We've done over 300 episodes in the six years since The Verge has been around, but you only need to listen to one, the latest one, to get caught up on everything in tech news. Vergecast is on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, everywhere else. Also, you listen to podcasts, check it out.